I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 18. We'll look today at the last part of this chapter in verse 35 through verse 43. As we continue on in our series in Luke, Jesus came to seek and to save. And the message today is entitled, Salvation is by Faith. Ron Davis is a well-known scientist in California. A mystery disease left his son isolated for years, unable to eat or speak on his own. It was determined eventually that he had a syndrome that was shortened to MECFS. Symptoms include debilitating fatigue, brain fog, difficulty with sleeping, along with many more severe problems. Tracy Bullitt wrote a book about their experience entitled The Puzzle Solver, a scientist's desperate quest to cure the illness that stole his son. The book chronicles the father's quest to help his son, and the father went on to found the Stanford Chronic Fatigue Syndrome Research Center, which is now known as the MECFS Collaborative Research Center. I want you to think just for a moment about the desperation that comes from being seriously ill, of needing a cure and not knowing where to find it. We encounter a man in the scripture today who was physically blind, but the parallel of it is that he was also spiritually lost. One was a temporary condition in the sense that it would only persist for the duration of his life. The other was a permanent condition had Jesus not intervened because it related to the man's soul. Now, you might remember that in Luke chapters 9 through 19, there's a journey theme. Uh, Jesus, at this point, was on a journey. Where was he headed? He was headed toward Jerusalem. He's focused on the cross. He, in the preceding verses, had just told his disciples what was going to take place, that he would be handed over, he would be condemned to death, mocked, crucified, and then be raised from the dead three days later. He comes to a place called Jericho. Jericho, located about 17 miles from Jerusalem, uh, down the mountain as it were, because Jerusalem uh, sits on a high peak and Jericho is down below sea level. Let's read the narrative beginning in Luke chapter 18 and verse 35. Here's what the scripture says. As he, being Jesus, approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him, and when he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly, he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. As Jesus 
approached Jericho, a large number of disciples were with him along with the pilgrims who were on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. Bear in mind at this point that Jesus was well known and people would gather to see him. So as the the word would pass ahead of him before Jesus arrived in an area, the people would be anxious to see who this Jesus was that they had heard about. And in some ways, I think that this scene is a bit of a preview of that triumphal entry atmosphere when he later arrived in Jerusalem. In this story, as Jesus passed by, there was a blind man who was sitting by the road and he was begging. R. Kent Hughes, the preacher, described what he thought the scene may have been like. He said the day had begun like any other day for the blind man. Waking up, he shook the straw from his shabby torn garments, stretched, got to his feet, and began tapping his way along the familiar turns leading to the main gate of Jericho. Perhaps he was able to beg a crust of bread or two at some familiar stops along the way. Arriving at the gate, he took his regular place with the other beggars where he drew his greasy cloak tightly around him because though it was spring, the sun had not yet dispelled the morning chill. As he sat there, just like so many days before, he listened to the city come to life. First, a donkey loaded with melons for market. After that, several women chatting as they bore pitchers toward the well. Then the clomp of camel's hooves. And soon Jericho abounded with the sounds of life. And the blind man was intoning his beggar's cry. Suddenly the blind man tensed and lifted his head, for his blind sensitive ears heard the hubbub of of a great crowd approaching. First came young boys running ahead with shrill cries. Uh, Then more people hurrying past the gate talking excitedly. The blind man, brushed by a robe, reached out and asked what was happening. See, this man could not see Jesus, but he knew something was happening around him. And as he knew something was happening around him, he was interested in what it meant. And he's told in verse 37 when he asked that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So I want to focus in these few moments that we have together on how salvation is by faith from this narrative that we've just read. And I want you to note, first of all, that lost people need to be saved because of their condition. We'll see a parallel as we go through this story of a physical need that is actually representative of a spiritual need. And we know that because of the result and also the response of Jesus to this man. Verse 35 says that the blind man was sitting by the road begging. The physical condition of the blind man is paralleled by the spiritual condition of the lost. You'll remember that the theme of Luke's gospel, I think the key verse is Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we see Jesus ministering and serving and teaching the truth, but he has one purpose, and that is that he has come from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. As the most uh, famous hymn in history states, Amazing grace, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. The Bible uses the word lost 
to describe people who are separated from God and do not have eternal life in Jesus Christ. So when it says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, he came to seek and to save those who are separated from God and need to be reconciled to God. And we know that God has made himself known. He's made himself known, first of all, through general revelation. That's how God has made himself known through creation. And the beauty and the complexity of creation points to the creator. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made so that men are without excuse. And you might have also heard it said that general revelation is sufficient to condemn, but it's not sufficient to convert. In other words, we can see the attributes of God. We can recognize the power of someone who is greater than us, who has made what we can see, but it's not creation that redeems us. It's the one who is active in creation who redeems us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So not only do we have general revelation, but we also have special revelation. That's how God reveals himself through the written word and then through the living word, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God has shown himself to us through his son coming to this earth to seek and to save the lost. And we have the word today as a testimony to the fact of the condition of lost people who need to be saved apart from Christ. And yet we also know that people just outright ignore general revelation and special revelation. Why do they do it? Because they're spiritually blind and they're lost. The radio program, This American Life, told the story about the late writer, David Rakoff. As the story unfolds, it sounds part truth and part fiction. But at any rate, Rakoff was a man who had a hard time seeing what was right in front of him. Even though it was obvious and evident, he couldn't see it. His company was working in Tokyo, reportedly in the 1980s, on a computer program that would help expats write short messages to one another after logging on to the network. David thought to himself, what kind of loser would log on to a computer just to talk to somebody? That network, as you might imagine, was the beginnings of the internet. Later, he worked in publishing, was handed a manuscript that he passed off as subliterate drivel and an easy pass. The book turned out to be Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, which eventually sold more than 15 million copies. Sometimes, just because something is in front of us and obvious, it does not mean that we can see it. It does not mean that we can understand what it is. And when we are lost, what happens is sin blinds our need for God. Jesus quoted from Isaiah chapter 6 and John chapter 12 and verse 39 and 40. And he said, this is why they were unable to unbelieve 
or, or to believe. Because Isaiah also said he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. So it's sin. It's our, it's our rebellion against God. We, we can't see because we don't want to see. We can't see because we're broken and we are separated from God. And when we are lost, not only does our sin keep us from seeing our need, but the spiritual enemy actually blinds us to our need for God. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's sin and there's a spiritual enemy which keeps us from seeing what we need to see. So here's the condition. Lost people are dead in their trespasses and their sins. Spiritually blind, unable to find their way back to God on their own. And lost people need to be saved because of their condition. Second, I want you to note, lost people can be saved when they learn about Jesus. This is where the good news comes in. The blind man heard, according to verse 37, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. You remember what the scripture says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This man heard that Jesus was near. He knew that he needed help. And I think what this represents was a turning point in the man's life. Think about it as a crisis of faith. It was a moment where his life was about to change, and that's what turning points in life do for us. Think about the turning points in life that you have experienced along the way. Maybe a, a graduation and something new was ahead of you. Or maybe your marriage or the birth of your first child. Or maybe it was a major job change that you dealt with. Or maybe it was a crisis situation that presented that crisis of faith and that turning point for you. And what happens is when we are spiritually lost is that God brings us to a turning point when we learn about him. And when we learn about him and we reach that turning point, what it presents to us is a crisis of belief. The blind man was in a predicament, but help arrived. And when help arrived, he was about to be met where he was so that his circumstance could be changed. And I've got good news for you today. Jesus meets you where you are. He doesn't care where you've come from or what you've done or what your condition is or how far you are away from God. He meets you at your point of need and can change your life. But repentance is needed. Repenting of our sin and turning to Jesus. The blind man was turning from his situation in order to seek help from Jesus. And Jesus came to him and near him in his life circumstance. And he does the same for us. Maybe today you're feeling that you're at a turning point. Wherever you are right now, God will meet you at your point of need. And if you need to be saved, he'll save your soul if you'll trust in Jesus.
Now, I think this points in part also to the urgency of salvation. There are a lot of people that think that they've got plenty of time, their runway is long, their horizon is far, and they think they can just put God off. Someday I'm going to get right with God. Someday I'm going to serve God. Someday I'm going to become a Christian and I'm going to follow Jesus. But the problem is we never know if that someday is going to arrive. What we have is today. And the scripture says in Psalm 95 and verse 7 and 8, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's an urgency to this message. There's an urgency to the turning point that we're presented with. Heath Adamson wrote The Sacred Chase, and he recounted the story of a little girl named Tilly Smith. True story. She and her family were relaxing on the beach. They were from Britain, and they were on a family vacation in Thailand. That morning, 10-year-old Tilly, her parents and her sister Holly went for a walk along the beach. They enjoyed the warm breeze in their faces and they felt the sand squishing between their toes. And two weeks prior to this holiday vacation, Tilly had learned about tsunamis in her geography class. The video her teacher showed had caught her attention So as Tilly and her family walked the beach, she noticed that the waves were going out, but they weren't coming in. She alerted her parents that they were surrounded by signs that something unusual and cataclysmic could occur. At first, they were dismissive, but Tilly's passion and her persistence paid off, and she began to shout, there's going to be a tsunami. Now just imagine if you were in that circumstance and your child with you on vacation starts to tell you that, you might think at first that it's just an unfounded fear. She heard this in school and she's just afraid because it's something new and you don't pay any attention to the urgency. But Tilly shouted louder and louder and her panic frightened her sister who began to sob hysterically. And Tilly's dad took Holly back to the hotel to calm her down. But Tilly looked around and saw the people in the ocean on the sand, and she knew in her heart that they were in danger. So she ran back to the hotel to find her dad talking with the security guard, and he said, I know this sounds completely mad, but my daughter says there's going to be a tsunami. Security guard listened to a passionate plea coming from a 10-year-old British schoolgirl. He listened and shouted for people to get off the beach, so they scattered, and as you might imagine, pandemonium set in. The hotel lobby on a higher floor became a gathering place, and a tsunami triggered by an earthquake at the floor of the Indian Ocean struck, and an estimated 230,000 people perished. But not one person from Tilly's Beach died that they know of. And Tilly's dad, in shock after learning of the horrific devastation and suffering, said to Tilly, what if we hadn't listened to you? What if we hadn't listened to you? i got a question for you today, friend. If you're lost without Christ, and you can understand that there is an urgency to the gospel, you can understand that you have a need and you've learned about Jesus Then my question for you is, if this is true, and it is, and if you don't know how much time that you have and you don't, and you wait too late and you don't listen, what if you don't listen to the warning? What if you don't heed the urgency of the gospel and be saved? 
2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. We cannot go back to yesterday. It is gone. We are not promised tomorrow. It is uncertain. Today is the day of salvation. Lost people can be saved when they learn about Jesus. Third, if you will, note that lost people are saved when they believe in faith. Notice again in verse 38, the man calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 39, then those in front of him told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now there's an interesting um, delineation here in the sense of the urgency with which he cried out. One commentator noted that there's a difference in the words used to describe the action of the blind man in verse 38 and the action in verse 39 and the difference in the way that he's crying out to Jesus and asking these questions is something that reveals his desperation. So here it is in verse 38, uh, he called out or he cried out. The idea is just an ordinary loud shout. So Jesus comes nearby, hey, Jesus, have mercy on me. It's, it's like the initial, the initial contact. He, he, he's believing what he's been told, that Jesus of Nazareth is nearby, and he's trying to get his attention. But verse 39 says he was crying out all the more. And the idea is in verse 39 that this is a cry of an ungovernable emotion. This is a scream. It's described as almost an animal-like cry. It is a desperate cry. It is not a calm cry. It is a desperate request of Jesus to help him in that moment. And what was the cry for? It was a cry for mercy. The humility of the blind man led him to submit himself to Jesus. And that's similar to the way that the tax collector approached Jesus back in Luke chapter 18. You remember in contrast uh, to the Pharisee, the tax collector stood far off and he would not even raise his eyes to heaven. And he beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The phrase be merciful that's used earlier in the account is actually the word used for the atoning sacrifice for sins, which is translated in the book of Hebrews as propitiation. Here, God's mercy is his tender-hearted compassion for his people. It's his tenderness toward the needy. So what does God do? God shows compassion. He shows his kindness. He shows his pity. And that's what we ultimately need. We don't bring anything to God as though we're worthy or as though we can earn our salvation or as though we could be good enough to make ourselves right with God. When we are in need, the only one who can help us is the one who created us. The God who created us is the only one who can save us. And we need his mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness. Mercy is not getting what we deserve which is judgment. And Jesus stopped. And he was about to answer the cry for mercy. What did he do? He had the man brought closer to him. And Jesus asked in verse 41, 
what do you want me to do for you? What do you want God to do for you? What is your need? What's your urgent situation? I think we don't have because we don't ask. And this man was about to ask for what he needed. Now, Jesus knew what he needed and what he wanted. But he asked the man so that the man would tell him and express his need. God knows today what you need and what you want. But he invites you to come and to ask him for what you need and what you want. And the man replies to Jesus, Lord, I want to see. Now don't skip over this because in this moment he submitted to Jesus as Lord. And in submitting to Jesus as Lord, what he's recognizing is that Jesus was the only one who had authority to help him in that moment. And when you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, you're not coming so that you can just get a better life or that somehow Jesus can be your therapist or that Jesus can be added on conveniently to everything else that you're doing in your life and you give Jesus whatever's left over in your life. When you come to Jesus and you submit to him as Savior, you are submitting to him as Lord. And what you're saying to him is, Lord, you're the one who has the authority. Lord, you're the one who can help me. Lord, you're the one who cares about me. Lord, you're the one who can give me mercy. And that's what's happening right here. As he says, Lord, I want to see. In verse 42, Jesus told him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Jesus responded to his request immediately and without delay. The only way to come to God is by faith. Now, this man's faith was simple. In no way was it fully developed. It was imperfect and maybe even weak. But Jesus knew that he had a need. The man believed that Jesus could meet that need, and he asked him to do it. Friends, I think we need to be careful about putting barriers in front of people who want to believe. Sometimes we think somehow that they have to have a a fully developed theology before they can come to Christ, or the way that we present it, sometimes not even intentionally, is that somehow they've got to get certain things in their lives right before they come to Jesus. And that could not be further from the gospel. Because what the gospel does, what Jesus does by his grace and his mercy is he meets us in our point of need. He meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our sin. He meets us in our undoneness when there's nothing that we can do other than turn to him and say, Lord, we need some help. I want to see. When you make that kind of request to Jesus, he's going to answer that request. And when God brings you to himself and you realize you have a need and you believe that Jesus can meet it and you ask him to do so spiritually, then you can be saved and God will help you in that moment to meet your greatest need. I remember years ago, I got a call from someone who had a friend in the church. Uh, Their friend was named Tony. I've told this story a couple of times probably through the years just because it had such a profound impact on me at the time. Tony was dying of cancer and he was nearing the end. He was only 44 years old. The friend asked if I would go see him and 
share the gospel with him. She had been trying to talk to him and, and due to his illness and some other things had not gotten down to the main point. So I made an appointment to go see him as quickly as I could because I knew that his time was short. I took a deacon along with me and we came to his house and I'll never forget, I can see the house right now. We walked up to that house, we knocked on the door. The caregiver came to the door who was there helping him and showed us downstairs. We made our way down the stairs and it was dark downstairs with just a small lamp illuminating the room sitting on a table and there was Tony. He was frail. He was having a very difficult time breathing. He literally had a wrap that was holding his mouth and his jaw up. The cancer had ravaged his entire body. And I began to talk to him about his need for Jesus, about his need to be saved, about his spiritual condition. And in that moment, Tony placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, called on him as his Savior and Lord. And at 44 years old, the next day, he stepped out into eternity. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus came to Tony's house, in a sense, that day. We we were just instruments. I, I, nor the deacon who was with me, take any credit for any good thing that happened. But just following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we went. And the need for that man to repent that day in that condition was urgent. And you better believe and know that the need for you to repent and trust in Christ by faith today is just as urgent. You might not be in the same physical condition, but friend, you're in the same spiritual condition. You say, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. What do I need to do to be saved? Trust in the one who's the Savior. Put your faith in him. Cast yourself on him and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus will have mercy on you if you'll only ask him. And notice what happens in verse 43, and I'm going to close with this. Instantly, he could see uh, verse 42 and and 43 tell the result and he began to follow him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God did you know physical healing is a miracle but it's limited by time spiritual healing is a miracle but it's eternal it's the best of all and what does salvation result in well according to this it results in following Jesus It's not just getting our fire insurance. It's just not seeing the urgency of it in this moment, but it's seeing the urgency of it for all of eternity. So when we come to Jesus, salvation should result in following Jesus. I believe salvation should also result in our lives glorifying God. You ought to be able to give a testimony if you're saved. If Jesus has truly changed your life, if you've truly been overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy of God, and if Jesus has met you in your point of need, and he has forgiven you of your sin, and he's given you the gift of eternal life, you ought to be able to give a testimony of that, of the goodness of God in your life. And maybe somebody else around you needs to hear that. It could be a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. 
And as we glorify God, salvation is going to result in making a difference in other people's lives as well, not just our own. So as we come toward a close of the service today, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song together. Pastor Eric's going to lead us. It's a song that we learned uh, many years ago in Jamaica. Uh, Just a little spiritual that says, reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. What's your need today? Where are you at spiritually? Jesus will meet you if you'll only ask. Father, we thank you today for the hope that we have in you. We thank you for this story of the blind man who was healed and the spiritual parallel of what it means for our salvation just as it meant the same for his. And Jesus, help us to see our need to take the blinders off that sin causes and that the spiritual enemy brings into our lives and help us to see that you alone can save. I don't know what the needs are on folks' hearts here today. God, I know many already know you, but maybe they need a sense of renewal in their lives of your great power. I pray that we draw closer to you because of this example of the power of Jesus in healing this man. But I especially pray for those who are lost. If there would be even one person here today, God, that you would bring by the power of the Holy Spirit for them to be convicted of their sins, to see Jesus in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation, and that they might repent of their sins and trust in Jesus by faith, taking hold of the hope of the gospel. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.